All right, if you have your Bible at this time, I wanna invite you to go ahead, take it out, open it up, head over to the book of Colossians chapter one, Colossians chapter one. As you're headed over there to Colossians one, I just wanna remind you, we are in the midst of our Advent series. And as part of that Advent series, uh, we have a couple of resources for you. One of those is our Advent devotional written by our friend, Patty Carver. Patty and her husband, Darren, were members of this church for many years before they moved to Florida. But uh, because I smile really pretty, she continues to write this for us. And it's a fantastic tool. You can pick this up all around campus. If you prefer a digital version or if you wanna send a link to one of your friends, you can download it, hnw.org slash Christmas. And uh, as, we, as we have Advent, that's a reminder that we're counting down towards Christmas. So I wanna talk to you about our Christmas Eve services. We'll have four Christmas Eve services this year. We'll have two on the 23rd, 3 p.m. and 5 p.m., and then two on the 24th. 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. All four services identical, all four services in this room. All four will have some hot chocolate, some sweet treats, we'll have um, a live nativity. So just choose the service that makes the most sense uh, for your family. It would be awesome if you would attend one and serve at one. Uh, because we can certainly use a lot of help. We anticipate having hundreds of guests with us on those two nights or two days rather and would appreciate it if you would be willing to help us uh, in that. Um, as part of that, we have some invite cards that are available. These are placed on tables and in the commons all around campus. Uh, these invite cards, you can pick them up an easy way to invite your friend, your neighbor, your barista, your gym buddy, whatever. Uh, they have a QR code on them that'll take them straight to all the digital information about Christmas Eve. So I would encourage you to pick up one or 10 of these and pass these out uh, to your friends and invite them to come and to be part of that. Uh, one thing I wanna remind you of is that at our Christmas Eve services, we have um, every year a special offering uh, that goes to a special cause. Uh, it's, we call it the Big Give. And this year, for the Big Give, we are addressing uh, food insecurity in our city. I think that pretty much everyone has noticed that groceries have gotten a little more expensive. And uh, we, we wanna raise uh, $10,000 for gift cards to HEB for people in our community who need help with groceries. And then we wanna raise $20,000 for an organization that helps with food insecurity across Houston called Bread of Life. Anything above and beyond that $30,000 gift will go to our uh, mission for internet, our, our offering for international missions called the Lottie Moon Offering. Um, it's a great opportunity to be part of that every year. So I would ask you, begin praying now, thinking now about how you can come prepared to give on December 23rd or 24th. All right, it's a lot of information, but I appreciate you uh, hanging in there uh, with me as we get ready to come towards Christmas because it's always such a great time, a great season as we remember the birth of our Savior. Uh, for those of us who are new to the Bible uh, in the room today, I wanna give just a brief introduction to the Bible before we jump into Colossians 1. Uh, the Bible's divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament gives us a record of God's chosen people, Israel, and tells us about their need for a rescuer, a redeemer. They use the word Messiah. Then in the New Testament, we find out who the Messiah is. We find out his name is Jesus, born of a virgin, uh, lives a sinless human life, dies a sacrificial death on a cross, and is resurrected from the dead three days later. Jesus was not just a teacher or a prophet, but he was God in flesh. Those who followed Jesus were so convinced that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the Savior. They told everyone who would listen about this great news, that if you believe in him, you can have forgiveness of sin, you can have the promise of eternal life, and you can have the power to live in this life right now. That is the gospel message. That means good news. We preach the same message today that was preached 2,000 years ago, and we hope that today, if you've yet to place your faith in Jesus, you will do so. So what I wanna do right now is I'm gonna pray over us, 
And I'm going to ask God to bless this time, and then we're going to jump into Colossians chapter 1 and, uh, and move forward. So if you would, bow your head with me, and let's pray and ask God to meet with us today as we open up his word. Uh, God, we thank you for the gift of the scripture. God, we thank you for the gift of Advent. Uh, Lord, we ask that today we would remember how you meet us wherever we are, and that, Lord, today we would receive whatever it is that you have for us. God, my prayer is simple, that we hear you and we obey you. Whatever that means, God, let each of us hear from you today and then do what you tell us. And we pray this, God, in the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Colossians chapter one, verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. This is the word of the Lord. Fleming Rutledge says, Advent is when God, or Advent is, begins in the dark. Advent begins in the dark. I think a lot of us right now are in the dark, struggling with life. Things feel a little bit sideways. Sometimes we feel the despair of life coming over us. Sometimes it feels like things aren't gonna work out our way and we're sort of flailing around wondering, where is God in the midst of this? I was reminded this week as I was preparing for the sermon about the story of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who was one day in 1863, Christmas Day in fact, feeling as if he was in the dark. His wife of 18 years had been fatally burned, lost her suddenly. The nation was in the midst of a civil war. He was discouraged by the prevalent racism and the rhetoric that he heard that was dividing his nation. His own son had been sent off to fight for the Union Army and then was wounded, and at the time, he wasn't even sure if his son would recover. He did eventually, but in the moment, he didn't know, and he just began to feel the heaviness of the world. It was Christmas Day, and he was honestly feeling as if God was completely absent. Maybe you've, you've been there before. And it was then that he began to hear the bells of his church ringing. And as he heard the bells ringing, he was convinced no, God hasn't given up. God hasn't abandoned me. And so he sat down and he wrote a poem quickly, a poem that later became a well-known Christmas carol called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And this is one of the verses. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's what we say, isn't it? That with the coming of Christ, there will be peace on earth, there will be goodwill to men, but if you're anyone who's any sort of a realist, it's hard to believe that we would ever experience peace on earth. Right now, I think we look at, for instance, the Middle East, and we think, well, how can there ever be peace on earth? And is what's happening there peace? I would tell you, there is a ceasefire right now. They aren't shooting at each other. But the truth of the matter is, is that not shooting at each other doesn't necessarily translate into peace. Peace in the, New in the Old Testament is described using the word shalom, and shalom is about flourishing. It's about everything living up to the intended, created purpose for which it was made by the very hand of God. So right now in Gaza and Israel right now, people may not be shooting at each other, but it's not peace. It's just a ceasefire. Have you ever felt like your life was a ceasefire? 
Like maybe you weren't shooting at anyone or people weren't shooting at you, but you wouldn't describe it as peace. Like you would say, I'm in the dark right now and I'm just kind of feeling around, groping around, trying to figure out what it is that I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go. And honestly, God, I just need to know, will you meet me in the dark? Because it feels like maybe you're not going to. And this is why I want you to hear that the promise of Advent is peace because whenever we can't see, whenever we feel overwhelmed, whenever it feels like we're in the midst of an anxiety that will never end, the promise is that we have a God who will one day return and will indeed bring about flourishing, shalom, peace. And what I want you to hear today is that this is the sure promise in Colossians chapter one, verse 18, is all about a God who gives peace and I want you to hear how. If Advent begins in the dark and you're in the dark today, I want you to know that whether it be on the cosmic scale of all creation being made new or if it's on the individual personal scale of God meeting you in the midst of your own dark moment, God has not forgotten about you today and this Jesus brings peace. First, in the first line of verse 18, he is also the head of the body the church. How does Jesus bring peace? He brings peace by giving us a path, gives us a path. For a lot of us, when we're in the dark, we flail around, just basically grabbing at whatever rope we might find to pull ourselves out of whatever pit we find ourselves in. We oftentimes are trying to live by the way of the world, not the way of Jesus. And the way that we get out is that we follow the path of Jesus, not the path of the world. And that's why we read, he is also the head of the body, the church. If you read in 1 Corinthians or the book of Romans, you will find that the church is often described as a body. And uh, whenever we read that, what the, the, the writer, Paul, is saying is that the church all of us who believe in Jesus work together to do things in concert. In other words, I have gifts, you have gifts, those gifts are different. We work together to help bring about the manifest presence of Jesus whenever we gather together and then whenever we're scattered and we go into the city, into our respective domains, we carry the presence of Christ. And so as we work together doing the things differently but at the same time in concert together, we show the way that Jesus operates operates. But what happens if we get out of step with Jesus? This is what I mean. What if 90% of us walk in step with Jesus, but 10% of us go a completely different direction? That causes a problem in the body. See, that's why Paul uses that term that he is the head of the body, the church. Now, there's a little bit of discussion in New Testament studies about what the word head actually means. So the Greek word there is a, a word kephale, and kephale has two possible interpretations. And so I'll tell you what those are, and you can you know, argue over lunch today about which interpretation you think is best, and you're like, yeah, I can hardly wait to argue about Greek words at lunch. All right, so here we go. Number one, first way that kephale might be understood is authority. It's that Jesus is the authority over the body, and that the head has the mind, and the mind tells the body which way it's going to go, which way it's supposed to operate. Makes sense? Good possible interpretation. The other one is that head ought to be interpreted as source. So think like headwaters of a river, and that the church 
flows from the source of Jesus. Good news, either interpretation works in verse 18. Here's the point. That the body has to be in step with the head of the body, who is Jesus. For obvious reasons, I've been thinking about heart transplants a little bit lately. And whenever I have looked into heart transplants, this is the thing that I've found. That a heart transplant, once it's placed in a body, is basically on a clock to the point that it will be rejected by the receiving body. Why? Because the implanted, transplanted heart has different DNA from the rest of the body. See, right now, my body has one set of DNA. But if we were to take this heart out and put another heart in, we'll take a medication that's supposed to delay or postpone the rejection, but eventually the body discovers that there is something inside that does not belong, that's carrying a different set of DNA. And at that moment, the body turns on itself and attacks. And a body that attacks itself is diseased. The church cannot be healthy if one portion of it is trying to act in a way that is not in line with Jesus. This is what I want you to hear today, is that there are some of us, there are some of us that want to live by the way of Jesus. We want to say that Jesus is the head, but we want to live by the ways of the world. Because let's just be honest, the ways of Jesus sometimes seem weak. I feel like they're for losers. Forgive, love, Stop holding a grudge. Stop being bitter. Turn back to the one that hurt us in the beginning. Be generous. Be kind. These don't sound like the sorts of things that people who are out there ready to really take the world by the horns are supposed to do. You see, I think that sometimes we love the idea of the church triumphant but we believe that the only way the church will ever be triumphant is if we use the methods of the enemy. It's easy for us right now to buy into the idea that we gotta fight for what's right. And I wanna be clear, fighting for what's right is an important thing, but we can't fight for what's right using the weapons of Satan. We have to fight for what's right using the tools of the king. Prayer, love, peace, forgiveness, If we end up fighting using the weapons of the world, we transform Christianity into a religion instead of the way of Jesus. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we get so caught up in doing what the rest of the world thinks that we end up creating a faith that doesn't look like that which Jesus taught in the first place. It looks like other religions. Now listen, I'm I'm friends with uh, members of other faiths across the city, across the country, and I have deep love and respect for them, but I have chosen to follow Jesus because I believe it to be the truth. And if we start living in a way that resembles, for instance, militant Islam instead of the way of Jesus, then we have rejected the power of our Savior. We've got to say that the path that Jesus gave is in fact the path that works. And so today I want us to hear that we need to convince ourselves and convince others that the narrow way of Jesus is the best way to live. And if you want to experience peace, put down your fists, get on your knees and start to pray. If you want to experience, yeah, if you want to experience peace, if you want to experience peace, 
Turn to your enemy with love. If you want to experience peace, live by the way of Jesus. Jesus knew that his teachings would be hard to hear, hard to receive. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Now, some people say, well, that, that verse is about belief in Jesus, salvation. And yes, I agree, but salvation in Jesus means life by the way of Jesus as well. You see, some of us today need to choose the path of Jesus for our personal life, our family life, our finances, our sexual life, our professional life. We need to say that we are willing to be part of the body. You see, the idea of the body is a medical idea. So if, we, if I lose an arm, then I've been dismembered, right? So membership, by the way, lots of times we think that Costco came up with that, but they didn't, right? So membership is a medical term. So the member of the body, right, the arm or the leg, if I'm dismembered, I've lost an arm, I've lost a leg. Whenever we come to the table, right, what do we say? We say, do this in remembrance of me. We are remembering. We are reattaching ourselves to the body. When I take the bread, when I take the cup, I am saying, I am choosing to reattach myself to the headship of Jesus. I will fall under his authority. I will flow from his source. I will do what Jesus tells me to do because he is king and I am not. When Jesus returns to set all things right, he will bring a particular path. And the path he will bring will be the things that he has described in his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is, come, he is coming to bring a particular way of life, and it's not the way of the enemy, it's the way of the Savior. If we want to experience his peace today, one of the first things that we can do is we can stop trying to live by the ways of the world, Stop trying to hurt others, but instead pick up the cross and follow the way of Christ. Second thing that I see here in verse 18, let's go to the, the next line. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So first he gives us a path, but then next he gives us power. He gives us power. You see, I think that some of us don't experience peace, but instead experience exhaustion because we believe that we can be saved through self-discipline. Now, this is the way that it works out here in the Burbs. A lot of us have made it this far in life because we've been driven, hard-charging, we've achieved high-caliber education, a high-caliber job, a high-caliber marriage, and we're trying to raise high-caliber kids to have a high-caliber impact in life. And that's great, but it will wear you out. You guys remember Snowmageddon from a couple of years ago, right? It didn't matter how great your television was, whenever the power went out, your TV didn't work, right? Unless you had a generator. Right? Everybody had the neighbor that had the generator. You're going over there trying to plug into it, that kind of thing. Why? Because you need power to make your house operate. What I want you to hear is that a lot of us live by self-discipline. And listen, I'm a fan of self-discipline. Paul himself said, I beat my body into submission. He was a fan of self-discipline as well. But self-discipline will eventually exhaust you if you don't have the power of the resurrection behind it. And what'll happen is, is as you live by self-discipline, you can carry yourself a long way, but when the darkness comes, 
When the despair comes, self-discipline will not be enough. And you will need a power that transcends that rickety old ERCOT grid. You will need something that is independent, that is a self-sufficient, generative source of power. You will need the resurrection power of Jesus. That will be the only thing that will get you through. And what I want you to hear is that in verse 18, whenever we see he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, it's like there's a dash after the word beginning. He is the beginning, and then Paul says, let me define that for you. He is the beginning of what? Well, he's the beginning because he is the firstborn from the dead. How do you get power following Jesus? Because Jesus conquered the grave. This is what I want you to hear today. Jesus is the very first person to be resurrected from the dead. All right, so listen, that's the beginning. The beginning is, is that Jesus got up out of the grave. So what started on that day? Glad you asked. As Jesus defeated death, he brought into the world a brand new kingdom. On the day that the stone rolled away, the kingdom of God began. And as Jesus walked out of the tomb, he declared that you could experience the glory and the power of heaven, not after you die, but the day that you begin faith in Jesus Christ. As a result, Jesus blazed a path through the jungle of hell for every person who has placed his or her faith in him, knowing that one day you will follow Jesus down that same path, straight through hell, straight through death, and you will emerge the same that he did, victorious and filled with life. Whenever Jesus came out of the tomb, the kingdom of God began a kingdom where we might live by the power of heaven in the middle of this dark world. And if you will let that power guide your life today, you can have the power of the resurrection in Monday morning meetings. And you can have the power of the resurrection when your kids are screaming their heads off. You can have the power and the promise of the resurrection whenever you feel overwhelmed and the resurrection will give you the power to bring you out of the darkness. The resurrection gives you power where self-discipline never could. The resurrection gives you power in two ways. First, it's just an encouragement to stick to the Jesus way. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, man, this ain't working. I mean, I've been forgiving people and they're just taking advantage of me. I've been generous. I don't have anything to show for it. God, is this really worth it? Whenever I was a kid, I mean, it was pretty easy to... to, uh, to bribe me to eat my English peas. It was like, hey, there's some Jello and Cool Whip at the end of this meal, right? I was like, okay, I'm in, right? Now, I might have to douse them in ketchup or whatever, but I would get them down because I wanted the Jello and the Cool Whip. What I want you to hear today is we have something way better than a Jello square to promise, and it is a resurrected, glorified body. If you will hold fast to the way of Jesus, if you will place your faith in Jesus, you experience the full-blown glory of the resurrection one day. It's enough for you to hang on. Listen, I know it's hard. You want to give up. You want to throw in the towel. But the resurrection is the promise that says, don't give up today. The next reason that the resurrection is powerful is that it actually gives you power. Like, you cannot do this on your own. You need an outside source of power. Your self-discipline, as good as it may be, will eventually run out. I don't know if you saw this study that came out. 
uh, this past week, USA Today cited this study that the suicide rate in the United States is at an all-time high. 14.3 people out of every 100,000 are taking their own lives. 80% of those are men. Why are the men in the United States of America filled with despair? I think it's because they've bought into the way of the world. And you buy into the idea that if you grind, right, rise and grind, and if you rise and grind enough, then eventually you'll find a purpose, you'll find success. And it might work for some people in some instances, but the truth of the matter is, is that that will ring hollow over the course of a lifetime. And if you want to experience something that overcomes despair and darkness, you need true power in your life. And on the day that self-discipline fails, resurrection power rises up and carries you. And what I want you to hear today is that God wants you to have it. He wants you to have it. And if you will surrender to Jesus and his way, by faith, he will give you the power to have a peaceful life as you lean into him. Last line in verse 18. So that he might come to have first place in everything. Third thing that happens. So he gives us a path, he gives us power. And when he does that, and it gives him preeminence. Preeminence is just a fancy word for first place. I think that I struggle with having peace whenever I either make myself or someone else higher or more important than Jesus. The truth of the matter is, is that we read here that he is supposed to have first place in everything. Everybody say everything. Right, he's supposed to have first place in everything. Now, I don't know about you, I'm pretty good at giving Jesus first place in most things. But sometimes that word everything, I kind of just want to go over and go, you know, let's scratch that out and let's put most things. See, some of us in the room, we have a naturally selfish bent. We think about ourselves before anyone else. Others of us, we're not necessarily uh, selfish by our natural bent, but we're more actually bent towards being people pleasers, right? But what'll happen is, is that for those of us who are selfish, is we'll tend to put ourselves higher than Jesus. Those of us who are people pleasers will tend to love other people so much that we'll want to put them ahead of Jesus. And most of us fall into one of those two camps. The truth of the matter is, is that for me personally, I have, over the course of my life, struggled with putting the love of my wife ahead of my love for the Savior. Now, that can like sound almost sweet, like, oh, you love your wife so much. But no, anytime I do that, things in my house get jacked up, right? Because when I start putting joy ahead of Jesus, then I start behaving in ways that end up getting our house out of sorts and it causes all kinds of problems. The other thing too is that whenever I put someone ahead of Jesus and they don't do the same, what happens? It creates a weird jealousy cycle. It creates all kinds of relational dynamics that are problematic. The truth of the matter is, is that for Christians, if we make Jesus preeminent in all things, if we put him ahead in all things, then I don't have to depend on how I feel. I don't have to depend on how other people make me feel. I don't have to depend on what other people say about me because my identity and my reputation has already been settled by what Jesus has said about me and he's preeminent. Does that make sense? Okay, 
So if we want to experience the peace of shalom, then we have to get things in the right order. If we get things out of order, then we won't experience shalom. But if we want to experience the peace of God, we've got to get things in the right order. Some of us today need to ask ourselves, what area of my life, like if I was to say, well, it does say everything, so I've got to look at everything in my life, and I said, okay, you know, 98% of my life is looking pretty good, but this area right here, this is the area that's out of whack. This is what I would almost guarantee. Whatever area of your life is out of whack, I would almost guarantee Jesus is not preeminent in that area in your life. I would almost guarantee it. And if he is not preeminent in that area of your life, then guess what? It will never get in line. You'll never experience peace there. But if you want to experience peace there, he has to be first. Now, you say, well, why does Jesus get to be first? I'm glad that you asked. Because he conquered death. If you would have conquered death, then we would make you first, okay? But you didn't. He did. So he gets to be king, he gets to be Lord, so he gets to be the one to say, this is the way that you put your life in order. Since Jesus is the one who reigns as Lord, then we have to live our lives by the order that he gives to us, and he says, the only way that this is gonna work is if you make me preeminent in everything. That's the only way that you're going to experience shalom. Now, some of us try to do this, we say, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, so how about this? Like, what if we were like partners? Like, I mean, you know, like we're right side by side. Like, you know, I'll be the co-pilot. And he would say, get in the backseat, I'm driving, right? The problem is, is that whenever we're the co-pilot, we can't help but grab the wheel and we always steer us off course. Anytime that you try to put yourself equal with Jesus, you ruin your peace. You always have to be underneath his preeminence. And we don't like this, right? We, we like a little bit of spotlight. We like a little bit of attention. You know, like everybody likes to say, hey, I'm doing a pretty good job. Thanks for noticing. And what Jesus says is, when you make me preeminent, then actually you'll be more peaceful than you ever were whenever you tried to drive this train. So the best thing that we can do is we can step underneath his preeminence. In my life, I could stand here and testify a long time. I could tell you stories from 20 years ago and I could tell you stories from two weeks ago about whenever, either for a long time or for a brief time, I did not submit to the preeminence of Jesus. And whenever I did not do that, things got out of whack. In the course of my life, I've reached a point where I have discovered that I am at my best when I am most satisfied in Jesus. And I'm not gonna lie to you, there have been times when I have felt the pull to rebel against God. I have felt the pull to, to do something else. What's the line in that great hymn? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I have felt the pull of the enemy who has whispered in my ear and said, do something else. And what I want you to hear is that there have been times when I have closed my eyes and just repeated to myself, I am satisfied in Christ. I'm satisfied in Christ. I have pictured Jesus radiant and glorified, standing in heaven. I have pictured Jesus 
conquering the tomb. I have pictured Jesus hanging on the cross. I have done that to remind myself that what he gives me is always better than anything I could ever seek in this life. I am not here to tell you today that it's easy. I am here to tell you today that it's worth it. And whenever you choose to be satisfied in Christ above all other things, you will find something beautiful. And so today, church, this is what I want to say to you. That this Jesus has sought you. He has become flesh. He has died on a cross and he has conquered the tomb and he will one day return again because he wants you to have perfect peace. Right now, for some of us, we're in the dark. We feel the despair. And in the same way that Longfellow heard the bells ringing on Christmas Day and was reminded that God had not abandoned him, that in fact, God does not sleep, nor is he dead, I want you to hear this today, that the bells are ringing right now. And the bells are Colossians 1, verse 18. And these bells are ringing to tell you that no matter where you are, no matter how you feel, God has not forgotten you. He is coming for you and he wants you to turn to him. And so, if you're already a believer, I would just encourage you to hear the words of Colossians 1.18, to come back to the way of Jesus, to, to put your life under his headship, to choose to live by his resurrection power, to, to make him first in whatever area of your life needs to happen. But if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I want you to hear me. You'll never have peace until you say yes to this good news message, this gospel, that Jesus wants to give you everything you need. So this is what I wanna do right now. I want us to have an opportunity to just respond before we come to the table. Here in a minute, we're gonna come to the table and we're all gonna have a moment where we're gonna say, I'm ready to remember myself to the body, to come under the headship. But before we do that, some of us need to decide if we're ready to become members of the body. So if you would, just bow your head with me right now. So as you bow your head, this is what I, I wanna ask. Just first, I, I wanna pray for the people in this room who would say, Steve, I, I've been struggling and I need the peace of God. I need what you described today. And I'm, I'm already a believer, but I, but I need that. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you? Okay, lots of hands going up. Just raise them up. Yeah. Okay, you can put them down for me. And then next, who here today would say, Steve, I've not said yes to Jesus and I'm ready now to become a member of the body. I'm ready. I'm ready to believe that Jesus died for my sin. I'm ready to believe that that Jesus conquered the grave and I'm ready to, to live my life by his way to have the promise of eternity. If that's you, I wanna pray for you today. Would you raise your hand up right now and say, Steve, I'm ready to become part of the body. Just raise it, okay, I see you back there in the back, thanks. Who else? Raise it up if you say, that's, that's me today. I'm ready to become part of the body. Father, today we thank you. Thank you that in both services, people have surrendered, decided that they're ready to become part of the body of Christ and that today they're ready to, to be connected to you. So Lord, I pray first for my brothers and sisters who said that they, they need help, that they need to, to have that peace, God, that you would bring it to them. And then God, I wanna pray 
for the one and maybe others who've said they're ready to, to become part of the body today. And if that's you, would you just pray with me where you're at? You just say, Lord, I surrender. I believe that Jesus is indeed the Savior. I believe he's your son. I believe that he died for my sin. I believe that he conquered the grave. And I want the power that he gives to live in this life. God, we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have any questions about what you just heard, we'd love to talk with you. You can get connected at hnw.org about what we believe or how to join a small group or follow us on social media as well. Thank you so much for joining us and we'd love to see you soon.